want to own it. Like on stage, in the booth, just me and my pen. I want to own it every time and truly be able to stand behind what I say. Hello and welcome to Where the Living Room Used to Be, a podcast about Rhode Island's music scene. Hey everyone, it's James. For this episode, I had the opportunity to sit down with Chachi Carvalho, a person that's been a huge part of Rhode Island's hip-hop scene for decades. We had an in-depth conversation about his career, from his days DJing in college, to his long list of albums and collaborations, his studio in Pawtucket, and dozens of international performances. It was a super fun time getting to talk with him, and I hope you enjoy. Also, make sure to hit that subscribe button, and follow along on Facebook and Instagram, at Living Room UTV. To start, I mean, you grew up in... In Pawtucket, is, mm-hmm. that, is yeah. that right? Could you talk about yeah. that experience of growing so, up? So yeah, in the city? You know, born born and raised here. Is, uh, my parents immigrated from the Cape Verde Islands. My sisters and I, you know, first generation born here in the states, and you know, they came basically to provide a better life for us and to ensure that you know our future and our legacy um, has better opportunities and access to more resources than in a third world country. So. You know, yeah, okay. I'm forever indebted to my parents for that and for providing the opportunity for me to be um, here and do the things that I do. Yeah. Um, they came in the early 70s at a time where, you know, the American dream was a very different American dream than it is today because of, you know, the region that we live in, the historical connection to, you know, Pawtucket being the birthplace of the Industrial Revolution and you know, the boom and like access to jobs, you know, you can be somebody who doesn't speak English, travel into this country, take on a trade job based on a skill set that you have from where you grew up and mm-hmm. work and be able to afford a house and to be able to afford a car and to be able to afford children. Um, and what that looked like in the 70s, 80s and 90s is very different than what it looks like today. So, you know, it wasn't until I went to college that I realized that I grew up poor, you know, because everybody around us kind of had the same, you know, we, everybody lived the same, you know, like all of our families like migrated from different countries. You know, most of our parents worked in factory jobs, whether it was ITT Electric or Monet Jewelry or Hope Webbing or Schoolhouse Candy, you know what I mean? And we all, you know, our vacations were, you know, once every summer to Rocky Point Park and and yeah. you know other than that everything was all good you know we lived happy and you know when I when I set foot on campus of Boston College as a freshman I was just like what the hell there are 18 year olds that drive beamers and I'm like this is crazy it was just yeah. it was just you know that's when I realized like oh man it opened my eyes up to to the world that we live in you know mm-hmm. it was like the first time that I was able to like kind of take on a global perspective and say, all right, I need to like really analyze my upbringing and, you know, start really taking advantage of the things that I have around me. Yeah. I mean, that still must be kind of interesting to not 
necessarily connect that like early on, you know, that it was just how you were living. Just yeah, you know, yeah, like, exactly. You know? And and that's a beautiful thing, right? Yeah. So because of the access to, you know, everybody has a computer in their pocket. You know what I mean? So because of like we grew up without that access, without, you know, being able to touch and access people and things and information and ideas instantaneously like they can like, you know, like we can now. It provided this level of jadedness that was super beneficial. Right. Like mm-hmm. you, you there was like there wasn't as much pressure. Um, yeah, you're not putting yourself against everyone else yeah there's no comparisons exactly there's no you know uh that level of accountability you know like like 14 year olds now everybody has a phone everybody has like an instagram account social media they're like they have to be super accountable to like to their friends to their parents like they always know where they are i had the luxury of growing up there was no the phone was connected to the wall and yeah you know what i mean as soon as my parents said i could leave i was gone and i wasn't coming back until the sun came down yeah, and the lights turn on right it, that's it it was you know what i mean like they had no idea where i was or what i was doing that was a beautiful thing it was a beautiful yeah. freedom you know yeah um that doesn't exist today yeah things have, have shifts quite a bit so it wasn't you know i I don't look at that as like a negative i I, you know i'm I'm really fortunate for like Mm -hmm. my upbringing especially being raised here in this region yeah who who was it that introduced you to music uh my older cousin vic was who 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 introduced me to hip-hop music but to music in general my whole family i come from a family of musicians yeah um my my dad was a singer yeah my dad was a singer my grandfather on my mother's side my my mother's dad was a singer um my uncle jack played in like a really big Cape verdian band from from the islands that ended up coming here and having good success here in the northeast as well they're called tropical power led by um norberta varsh who was like you know very 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 well known um Cape verdian singer who sang a lot around like um a lot of his music was you know uh based on just social content and you know inspiring people to to rise up it was a lot of uh like revolutionary music okay. you know what i mean um but then at the same time it was still party you know what i mean yeah. like sonically it was party but content wise it was like revolutionary yeah. so they were like you know really successful and, and i drew a lot of inspiration from them as well but yeah my whole family my sister my older sister sings and raps uh, my cousin's a dj i have other cousins who play like a various instruments so mm-hmm. music's always been a part of our household and you know uh it's the Cape Verdean culture music is a huge part of our life and our culture and you know it's probably like the our biggest export in yeah. terms of like for Cape Red Islands uh, yeah. probably our biggest export is music do you remember that first group that you were listening to that your cousin introduced I think the first the first music that really turned me on to hip-hop like to to make me say like what is this like this is something I want to do was um Herbie Hancock, I can't remember the name of that joint. That I can't remember the name of the record, but um, I remember when it came on. It was like a time where, like, you know, MTV had like began to be a thing, and mm-hmm. like where music, where you were able to like consume music visually. And this is the age of like, you know, like the Tom Petty videos and then mm-hmm. like the 
big hair bands and stuff like that. And then this was just so different. It didn't have any lyrics. It wasn't, you know, there wasn't words. It was just different. It was like yeah. scratching and, you know what I mean? The beat was just different than everything I've ever heard. And so I was just like, oh, this is fresh. And then when my cousin started introducing me to actual rap records, I made the connection with that as like the roots of like the first time I kind of like heard that okay. sound. Yeah. And yeah, and then then I started like just becoming I was just curious and you know I always wanted to be around him. he was like 4 or 5 years older than me so he was like, you know, I just wanted to be whatever he was listening to I wanted to listen to, whatever he was wearing I wanted to wear. Yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. So yeah. it was like it was one of those things and then I started um I started trying it. I started like experimenting and rapping when I was like 11. 11, yeah, all right. And then I started writing when I was around 14, when I entered high school. And it was like a weird time for me because I started uh, disassociating myself from my group of friends because they were just into different things than I was into. Mm -hmm. So I really like turned and dove into like writing at that time. And I started writing poems and short stories and raps and kept them to myself for a little while. But, you know, when I... My senior year in high school was like when I first had an opportunity to perform, and then where was that? At Shea, at Shea High School. Yeah, okay. Yeah, it's like my uh, my me music too. It was teacher. Like the first time I played was like my high school yeah, dance or something. Yeah, like yeah. Me, me and my <laughs> me and my boy Pete begged our music teacher to get us this like little drum machine, a Doctor Sampler, so we can experiment. We made like the worst beat ever, and then wrote some <laughs> raps to it. I stole a bunch of lyrics from Grand Poobah and. <laughs> and, then, and performed you know for the school yeah. and then after that i was just like oh yeah i like this and you know went to college and like dove into i started djing when i was in college and then you know i was still always writing so mm -hmm. i would like you know dj the the parties at you know girls softball team parties basketball team parties etc and i'd be djing the parties and you know it seemed like i was getting all the attention and couple cats would ask for the mic to rap and then they would get all the attention i was like hold on a second i want the attention so i would let them all go then after a while i would grab the mic and i would start rapping too then cats were like oh shoot charlie got bars too so it was like <laughs> you know what i mean it was like my way of like getting it back like yeah this is my show yeah I you know you. so i was like uh, i was definitely uh seeking attention at that time and uh you know it's it's provided you know other than sports after high school, you know, after high school, there was nothing except music that made me feel the success that I did, like, like on the football field. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was like a, it was a void when I went to college and realized I couldn't play football anymore. I was like, damn, that was like my whole identity. Yeah, but yeah. I, I found that again in music. Okay. Were you still performing? I mean, so you were DJing up in, up in I was DJing at, I was DJing at BC and then when I when I transferred from BC to URI you know money mm -hmm. <laughs> it got real expensive real quick yeah. over there um, then I I decided to like put away the turntables and I just like dove into rhyming and then you know I recorded my first song at URI in the production room, my boy Joey Beats, who was half of oh, nonprofits. Yeah, yeah. Joey Joey uh, recorded me for the first time at URI at the radio station. We snuck up in there at like two AM, put like paper in the door jam. Yeah. <laughs> that was our recording studio. It was my first first recording studio. That's awesome. Yeah. 
And um, and then ever, ever since then, I just kind of I fell in love with the process at that time. And we started performing there on campus and ciphers and the quad. And uh, it was like a, a, a nice collective of cats that were around that were all rappers that were accessible and touchable. You know what I mean? That's like when I like got to meet cats like Sage Francis and, you know, Japan, who ended up, you know, being like one of the founding members of Fed Hill and you know, Roman Rock, who's, like, still killing it, and then, you know, cats like Roulette, and, mm-hmm. you know, all those guys, and we ended up forming CNJ Records after that, that's when I, like, you know, got put on to, like, you know, like, the DJ Bucks, and, you know, all of the MCs from, like, Newport, and all of the MCs from Providence, like, so many, man, you know, from, from Bad Lad, all the crews, you know what I mean, it was crazy, there's so much talent, in Rhode Island, the history runs so deep. Yeah. Um, Can you talk about that? Like, yeah, there... man. Listen, it, it's it's so much. I guess I can only tell you like my story, like and yeah. you know the like, ones that I really looked up to. Paris, you know, the Poem Crew mm-hmm. were you know instrumental in terms of like guiding me, um, just because they were larger than life. You know, they, they started out as just kids in the projects who were like break dancing and rapping. And then next thing you know, they had a band, you know, like the poem band, like two of the members of the band, two of the guitar players from the band ended up forming raucous records. <laughs> you know what I mean, wow. they were like, they attended Brown. They ended up forming raucous records after, but their first yeah, musical experience was with Here in Paris. Yeah. And, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? And the cats from the Heights. So um, then Paris ended up forming Poemlands Mall, which was like the first hip-hop mall. It was like the hub for hip-hop culture. It was like the one place in the Northeast. Uh, the that? first of its kind in uh, where my last in studio Tucket, was, right in downtown Pawtucket. Yeah. yeah. So the first of its kind in the, in the, in the U.S., probably in the world, where you had like a clothing store that had, you know, brands that were like impossible to find anywhere else except if you were like in New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, music, I'm, I'm, you're talking like mixtapes, like the mixtapes, like Ron G just dropped a mixtape and poem had it. You couldn't get that anywhere else wow. in this region. So you got people coming from Connecticut, from and anywhere north of Rhode Island, were coming down. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Boston were getting masters from them you know um you know the dj juices and the tony touches and the doo-wops and you know Mm -hmm. all like the big the big djs at the time and that's how records were being broken so that's you know the first introduction to like wu-tang and to first introduction to you know what i mean yeah to to everything that was new was through mixtape consumption and man they fed us man poem fed us Literally, and they fed us literally because, you know, as a young kid, they provided like a safe space for us to go and express ourselves and to feel supported by like the older generation. And, you know, the people that we looked up to musically, we actually can talk to and access, you know, get guidance from. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so, man, I I don't know. I'm like forever indebted to, to, to Paris and to the whole poem crew. You know, they really like put Pawtucket on the map and made it okay. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. For us to like represent like Pawtucket in an era where 
you know, a lot of people from Rhode Island, if they were rapping and starting to make it big, would say that they're from New York. You know, I was going <laughs> to, I wanted to mention that, that, I mean, your work, just seeing that's great to hear out from, from my side that you just, you know, represent Pawtucket or yeah, maybe man. like a little yeah, bit farther out, you're repping is... Rhode Island, but. You know, yeah. I come from a, a same area, like outside of Worcester, and like you yeah. know, the bands are like they're from, from Boston. Boston. Yeah, I'm like, no, yeah. you're from you know <laughs> Dudley, Massachusetts. You know? Exactly, like, <laughs> you're repping Dudley. <laughs> yeah, uh, but uh, yeah, yeah that's it, cool. it was it was cool because you know it gave us that like, yo, they're from Pawtucket. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, and we're from where they're from, so it's all good for us to rap this. And we, man, we did. You know, our our time, you know, all the cats from CNJ Records were mm-hmm. huge influence on me as well. And in, in terms of like, that was my boot camp, man, to like build my confidence as a writer, as a performer, as someone who could like manage other people, mm-hmm. you know, and um, inspire other people. So, you know, without those, without that foundation... You know, I wouldn't be able to like. I, there's no way I would still have the mental bandwidth to sustain all this, and raise a family, and have a full time job, yeah, yeah, and perform and run a business. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So, it's a. Uh, this is easily the part of like my life that I, I would I would gladly like lose sleep for. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it seems like the hip hop scene is connected you know from what you're what you're saying that it seems that it kind of um just like if you're of a certain talent certain mindset that you know people will give you opportunities is that is that true at all or Eh. (laughs) (laughs) from my experience um I can't I can't look at it as people giving me opportunities because I've like literally had to like scratch and scrape for every opportunity okay. that I get um still to this day um to the point where I've established a lot of skills mm-hmm. um based off of necessity like you know planning and running culture shock you know is definitely not something that I was like Wow, wow, it'd be fantastic to spend nine months of my life (laughs) writing grants and raising money so I could put a bunch of friends on stage to perform for my community and bring all these people together. Yes, that's a beautiful thing. Did I want to be the only person doing all that legwork? Hell no. But nobody else is going to do it for me. Nobody else is going to have the belief that it's worth for us to pay, you know, every artist that steps on stage really well. It's worth to like, you know, expand all these community resources for like these young black and brown kids. Um, it's a, it's, it's an uphill climb, man. It's a lot of systemic issues that still need to be broken down. Um, and for hip hop to be, you know, a multi-billion dollar industry and, you know, the music and culture is used to sell every single product on the planet. Mm-hmm. And to still, you know, have the creators of the culture and the tastemakers and the creators of the music um, still getting, you know what I'm saying, drop in the bucket in terms of, like, what yeah. what the product yields. It's a, it's a shame, you know what I mean? But, you know, we have similar issues in, you know, in the school systems and, you know what I mean, across, you know, across all industries. I like to think that I'm trying, I'm trying, and there are a lot of people that are providing 
opportunities and connecting folks to resources. And in most cases, the ones who are leading the way are people who had to like fight through the obstacles and overcome the obstacles of not having access to those resources for a really long time. And something within them, like in myself, said, yo, just keep pushing, persevere. And, you know what I mean, there'll be a light at the end of the tunnel. And, you know, I keep seeing the light. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm nowhere near where I feel like, you know, I want this place, even like the studio space, I want it to be a hub that's like, you know, being able to bring in artists and like help them, boom, you know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. take off to the next level, and put out dope music and, you know what I mean? But it is a business. Yeah. And yeah. It's, it's hard. It's hard to yeah. like walk that fine line between, you know what I mean? Like customer service and you know what I mean like uh, uh, community cultivation and yeah. you know what I mean yeah. it's like you know, they should just be like this you know but they're, they're definitely two different avenues mm-hmm. well getting back to some of your like early career do you remember like your first show uh, I mean I obviously did it like at yeah. URI um, yeah so but, URI I think my first real show though like where it was like you know I would guess I would guess my my definition of, of, of my first real show would be like a room full of like fans and girls mm-hmm. and cameras <laughs> you know what I'm saying and that happened at the old Met like not where the Met is now but like downtown Providence Met like, uh, yeah like off, in like the cut yeah exactly yeah. behind Lupos and uh you know, I remember it was like a, it was like battles. We were huge. C and J Records, huge. Mm-hmm. You know, we were definitely the little label that should have. But my first show performing like solo, <laughs> I remember I like it was packed. Oh my god, so many. It was like at that time, like the hip hop shows here were like so well attended. And you know, now if you go to a hip hop show, it's like, you know, sixty percent other artists and then 40 percent their friends mm-hmm. and your friends right and back then it was it was not it was like you what, know what year was this uh this is probably like early 2000s maybe yeah like n- late 90s early 2000s yeah and uh i remember i rapped at the floor the whole time i was just like whoa and i would look up every two seconds like damn you know what I mean? Just pacing back and forth on the stage, looking at the ground and looking up every two seconds. Boom, finished. And it was like, ah! it was like, got the applause. I was like, what? I was on top of the world after that. You know what I mean? Because I was like an opening act. Mm-hmm. And man, it just, you know, getting the compliments and, you know what I mean? Getting the attention from the ladies. It just, it just shocked my world. I was like, this I can get used to, you know? It was, cool. it was dope. It was dope. It's mine, my moment of shine, and prove to the world that it's my time. I learned my grind, earned my light in the line. It's brighter, fight with a rhyme. I'm dreaming, listen to the scream, and I hear it in my head every evening. My brain is filled with migraine. It took time to learn how to live with my pain. I cried like rain, tried like I'm up against the fears in my head. I was headed for a change, playing in the game, but I wasn't playing games. Addressing all haters, I wasn't naming names. Where else were you, were you performing, or where else do a lot of these? At that time, at that time, you know, when we were running with the label, um, 
like I said, man, we are big. We are performing up and down the East Coast. You know, we're like doing shows down in Atlanta and New York City and, you know, opening up for every big name act that came into town. Like, you know, we we had an opening set, but we had like a collective of artists. We had like Roulette and then we had like Young Jinsu, who's like a young kid. And we had like Ice Blue Eyes, who was like a, a singer. And, you know what I mean? Okay. We had like a stable of producers and, you know. Uh, just different. It was we were different. Like myself and Ern Doe, we had a group called Prospect Heights, and you know we had a whole collective. So we were like one big show. It was like a label presence. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. So it was a it was an easy gamble to book us at a show, and like we brought all of Pawtucket. Everybody came to to watch us rock, and people were singing along. So like oh. the effect, of, the impact of that when you have people in the crowd rocking with you. Mm-hmm. the people around them start rocking with yeah. you too yeah. so um yeah, it was cool man you know back then we were we were doing it and then you know rocking all all the venues around here at that time from like you know the green room behind yeah. snookers to century lounge and nice. lupos yeah. when it was on westminster and you know the black rep and you know what I mean? Just like uh, all all of those venues, the living room, the living room, the living room was the first place that, you know, I was able to book my own show. Like, you know what I'm saying? Going up to Randy and being like, yo, what's up? You know, I want to do a show here. And he was like, okay. <laughs> I was like, what? So it was the first time where I was like booking a show where I was going to be able to like get money. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And like, and then pay people. I went all out, packed it out. And then it just kept booking shows there, you know what I mean? And then I formed my band shortly after that. And a few of the members that are in my band now were, like, with me from back then. Can you talk more about that, like, the different groups you've been in or different bands? And- yeah, so it's, you know, it's been a lot of, like, uh, with, a lot of, yeah, it's been a lot of, like, the same folks in terms of, like, my own personal music musical journey. I've, like, collaborated with a bunch of different artists in terms of, like, you know, contributing to their projects and such. But for me, you know... I've always like you know worked post C and J Records where we kind of had that crew. Uh, my cousin, Cat, who goes by Cadillac Jack now, has been like my DJ and like kind of like a consistent element in my life. My partner here, um, Vertigo, who is the you know the engineer here at the studio mm-hmm. and a producer I've always worked with for a long time. Jada Pina is another longtime friend of mine, producer and collaborator. He's responsible for like ninety percent of the music that I put out. Um, and then, you know, my band has changed, like, a, a few of the elements of my band has changed over the years, but, you know, pretty much, you know, we've been, like, consistently just, like, friends and, you know, cats that I just grew up either watching and admiring and found a way to, like, steal them and pull them in, you, or yeah. folks that I just naturally gravitated in by just being around and being like, hey, what's up, I, I play this, would love to jam with y'all, and they come and jam once, and then they just stay, mm-hmm. um, but... I started out, you know, as a solo artist. Then with CNJ Records, I started as a writer. I was writing for, uh, you know, various artists in the camp. Oh, okay. And then, at the, the whole time, I was like writing and recording my own content too. It just wasn't being put out. Then formed a group with Earn Doe called Prospect Heights, and we put out a few records that popped. And um, then after that, I started putting out, working on some solo stuff, putting music out. And the kind of label, label kind of crumbled, and me and a couple of the cat, like, one group split up, another group split up, and then me and one of the cats from the other group, my boy Swan Nadi, we started working on music together, and we ended up, like, 
having just like a nice chemistry together. So we worked on a couple projects together. We formed a group called Three P Suit. Him, myself, and Jay DePina, the producer. When the lights fade and the smoke clears, I zone out think about my next show. Yeah, I might be a millionaire in my memory. Bank rolls out like a caddy in the 70s. Leaning to the left, counting stacks like a casino. Alpine bumping beats by Domitino. Diving to the mind of a rhyme of all access. Cruise around a planet, full tank, no map quest. Ride on beats, neck snap like a crash test dummy. You don't get a damn thing from me. Freeze, still don't nothing move but the money. Hands up in the air, this is a then I started working with them. Some K- I formed, I had my, I formed my band. We were like, you know, really active around here. And then I started wanting to, you know, tie in with my Cape Verdean culture a little more. Yeah. Okay. Started like, you know, in true hip hop form, being inspired and sampling Cape Ver- traditional Cape Verdean records and making hip hop out of it. And yeah. That led to. Uh, I was able to see a pathway to connect with the islands. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I haven't, I, I, I didn't have an opportunity to ever travel to Cape Verde. So I was like, I need to find a way, and it has to be through music. Mm-hmm. We opened up for a big, big Cape Verdean band here at Showcase Live at Gillette. At G- Gillette oh, yeah, yeah. And killed it. And then the their manager was like, I'm going to get you guys to Cape Verde within a year. And, you know, he made true on his promise. And, you know, we rocked in Cape Verde. Killed it. They kept us there. We were supposed to go for a week. We stayed for a month. Island hopped and did a few other shows. Oh, really? And then, wow. you know, I, and I've, I've been back like 17 times in like seven or eight years. All, f- all for music. Yeah. Then from there, we ended up playing like uh, Johannesburg, South Africa. We, you know, I went and rocked shows in Colombia and we played. Kennedy Center in DC and yeah, yeah. you know uh, Trinity International Hip Hop Festival like three or four times at Trinity College in Connecticut and you know we've played some played some big shows with some big name acts you know what I mean yeah. a couple big gigs in New York City SOBs and with legends and you know I was on on stage in in New York City opening up for KRS One Busy B wow. like you know what I mean yeah, like yeah. DJ Cool Herc, like crazy. Yeah. Um, and then here, you know, uh, again, as a solo artist, I was fortunate enough to open up for a lot of big names. Mm-hmm. Um, How did the uh, appearance on BET happen? Yo, that was my, so my cousin, my DJ, I guess was watching TV and saw, they were like, oh, you know, submit a video or whatever to, mm-hmm. for your chance to compete, you know, on this on this program it wasn't like battles it was just like a performance competition so yeah. it was called a uh, wild out wednesday and you know they would select three artists they would each perform a song and then pe- folks from all over the globe would like vote via text and i'm like in the studio one day and i get a phone call and the guy's like hey what's up man this is pat charles from bet and i'm like yeah all right, whatever <laughs> no I, mean, I had no idea and he was like yeah well you know we just want to invite you down to audition you know, we've been, you've been selected we loved your video i'm like what are you talking about who is this oh because my cousin tell, submitted it he didn't tell me <laughs> no he didn't <laughs> no he didn't tell me so uh long to the short we went out we took like the whole crew you know we rented like a 16 passenger van everybody went out 
we had so much fun mm-hmm. that we just made it like a trip because it was just like, yo, might as well just have fun with it. And they loved us. Mm-hmm. You know, we killed it. Then uh, a month later, we went for like the on air show. It was like live. We killed it. We won. Mm-hmm. And they invited us back a couple months later to compete against other winners. And we won that too. is here right now. Look at them. They are already Casanovas yeah. with the crowd. What's the name? Yo, my name is Chachi Cavallo, representing Rhode Island, the smallest island. I got my man Zay right here. Yeah. Okay. They holding it down. Answered all the other questions. So what's the name of your original name, uh, song? The name of the song is called Like I Do, produced by 15-year-old producer Z Jennings, okay. recording the Beatbox Studio right at home. All right. You know I mean? So y'all want to see what he do? Yeah. We'll see what he does. Y'all show some love for Chachi representing Providence Roll Line and go ahead and wild out, baby. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What up, BT? What's going on? Yeah. What up? You can do it like I do it. Yo, I'm on my game like top that. Rain and jump shots can't stop that. I'm so fresh. Like a tux black cane and top hat. The boy jump out the garbage can like top cat. The mayor of this rap game, nothing to mess with. Who wanna flex with the kid with the fresh kicks? Light skin Tyson, grip the blue pen. The man with the plan who developed the blueprint. For one man, record labels in the producing. Tracks for digital wax and distribution. Facts. He's spitting with stars. Ridiculous. Mars. Stay infinite. Indifferent. Z did it, he 15 and getting it. I pull up on the scene. Bob Cat leaning. Pocket full of green and stack my jeans. I'm around the same time Vibe Magazine voted me like one of the top MCs state to state in the US mm-hmm. and that was cool that brought in like a little bit more publicity too and led to like a lot of the opportunities in New York um, and you know shows like that but you know yeah so like Paste Magazine yeah created you as you know one of the artists to watch mm-hmm. Rhode Island and stuff like that yeah, yeah. so you know it's a uh, you know, it's it's always cool to be acknowledged, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But acknowledgement but, is just that. Like, hey, yeah. what's up? You're this person, right? Yeah, cool. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, that's pretty much where acknowledgement ends. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about how, I mean, you kind of mentioned it briefly, but like how your style has changed over time and like yeah. what's influenced you from like yeah. your early stuff to... Yeah, well, pretty much like early on, I was just trying to like, you know figure out who I was as an artist. So all of my young, young, young guy stuff was about like Star Wars and drinking 40s and mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, like, you know, football and all the things I liked and the people I like looked up to, right? You know, so a lot of like, uh, a lot of uh, metaphors and comparisons, right? Yeah. I'm like this, and you, you know, you, you're like that. You yeah. know what I'm saying? A lot of like, uh, pumping out of the chest and flexing those peacock feathers <laughs> to try to like, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it is, it's a, it's a, it's a competitive sport. You know, yeah. hip hop is a competitive sport. So a lot of it was just a lot of like, you know, like machismo, like, yo, this is who I am. Yo, I'm ill. You know what I mean? Watch out. I'll eat all rappers. You know what I mean? It was like <laughs> stupid. And then, and then when I got to college, it was very much college. It was like all about like, women and weed okay. yeah <laughs> that's pretty much it <laughs> End of sentence, you know? and, and and like and all the big words that i was learning while i was in college right so having like this uh limited vocabulary from you know what i mean like growing up in the Pawtucket school system it gave me a very like limited 
you know, when I went to BC, like I found myself in circles and, you know, kids having conversations in English and I thought they were speaking a foreign language. I'm like, what the hell did they just, I have no idea what they're talking about. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would like literally like learn new words and write them, write them down, write down the definition, then use it in a rap so I could come back. And my boy's like, yo, what's up? What's that word mean? I was like, good. I'm glad you asked me. Because I had to look it up too. <laughs> you know? But then it, it shifted, man. As soon as, honestly, like the biggest shift came when, when I had my daughter. And I was just like, you know, she's going to listen. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I started changing content. I, I was working, you know, and at that time I was like working on kind of like the group home circuit and in schools. And I just wanted to like inspire. So I, I just started like telling stories and you know, myself and of the people I work with and the kids I work with and just try to like, you know, keep it hood and still be a little street, but at the same time, like, you know, inspire and paint a picture of like, you know, the society we live in, the issues that we face and try to provide some answers, you know what I mean? Um, and then, you know, but I still had to like maintain a little bit of an edge, right? You know what I mean? It's still a little bit of that. Like, What's up? I'm ill too. Like, don't, don't test me. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? My bar game is sharp still to this day. You know, I'm 42, man. Like, yo, please, I hope nobody disses me on a record. I, have, you know what I, mean? I got 30 years of bars <laughs> ready to unleash on anybody dare disrespect my name. <laughs> you know what I'm saying, James? Yeah. But yeah, you know, like now, you know, as a teacher, as an educator, you know, as somebody who wants to, I want to be viewed as you know, somebody who makes a difference. And I, I want I want my music to to represent that as well. So I try to like just be a little bit more thoughtful in terms of like the content I put out. I try to be a little bit intellectual in, yeah. in my approach. But still I want to maintain this this certain integrity about hip hop at its roots and the, the, the style of hip hop that I fell in love with. You know what I mean? Like the boom bap, the stuff I grew up in, which I feel will never go out of style. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, even though there's waves, right? You know, like that that good old boom bap, you know what I'm saying? The hard drums and you know, uh being able to like understand, you know, clarity in voice and in, in message and in, in deep intentions behind what you're trying to say and what you're trying to convey and, and just like conviction behind you know, like the emotional delivery of whatever it is, whether mm -hmm. it's like aggression or whether it's frustration or sadness or, or, or celebratory, you know what I mean? It all has to have like, it has to be real, you know what I mean? It has to be real. So, you know, I try to just take that approach now, you know, as a grown man with kids watching me, I want to be able to like perform, celebrate, Yeah, yeah. you know what I mean? And like own it every time. I want to own it, like on stage, in the booth. Just me and my pen, I want to own it every time and truly be able to stand behind what I say, and which is like some of the advice that I like try to tell, you know, like, you know, younger kids that are like coming up in this game. I'm like, yo, listen, whatever you say on record, if you say like, hey, this is me, this is who I am, somebody's going to check you on it. Mm -hmm. Somebody's going to check you on it. So if you're saying that you're, you know, you're a big, tough gangster and you drive a Lambo and you, you know what I'm saying, you're going to pull out the chopper and shoot everybody. Somebody's gonna test you on that. Yeah. <laughs> this is the way it is. The universe conspires to provide us with the things that we ask for. Yeah. That's as real as it gets. You know? Yeah. Well, 
we're sitting here in Beatbox Studio. Thanks for inviting us in. Can you talk about how how this came about? I mean, yeah. uh, have you recorded in other spaces, mm -hmm. you know, prior to this in Rhode Island, and then yeah. you know, evolution to having your own studio? Yeah. So, um, you know, Beatbox has been uh, a thing since 2006. Um, we were in the same space in downtown Pawtucket, uh, 250 Main, which transitioned from Poemlands Mall, well, from the arcade to Poemlands Mall to the Grant. You know, we were there for 12 years, and um, prior to that, it was mostly all of my recording came under the umbrella of CNJ Records and our studio, which was actually in, in the same in, in the Poem Building. <laughs> years back and then we were on Washington Street in downtown across from the Strand. Okay. Um and that's kinda taken like, you know, a few turns. And then once the label kinda like um disassembled, I bounced around and worked with a va with various artists and I just couldn't find like, you know, like that home. I'm too much of like a control freak to where I was like, man, I needed my own space, you know. There are a few cats, you know what I'm saying, like my boy Merck from the Boiler Room who, like, you know, has always, like, treated me like family. And, like, you know, he's somebody that to this day, I, you know, I'm a phone call away. And, like, even now, if we can't service a customer, if we don't have time, you know what I mean, I always, like, direct them, like, okay. right to Merck. It's a Boiler Room. He's just top notch. He's just, like, a solid dude. Um, but, you know, I was like, I need my own space. And that's just walking through the Poemlands after it was sold. And I saw this, you know... So this guy painting a room, you know, my boy Jay Hogue. Oh, yeah, yeah, you know yeah. Jay? I do, yeah. Yeah, so Jay, when Jay and Mike Lozano owned it, um, I was just walking through, like, reminiscing. I was I don't know. I, was, I, don't, I don't even know what I was doing. I was like, what's up? You own it? He was like, yeah. I was like, how much for this room? He was like, what do you do? I was like, I want to put a recording studio here, but I don't even have anything. <laughs> he was like, he gave me a number, and I was like, I was like, I'll take it. And he was like, for real? I was like, yeah. And that was it. That was like in 06. And we stayed there until I just recently moved in December. It was wonderful, man, for me because I was I was the first time where I felt like in full control. I was like, oh, yeah, I got my own space. I was like, you know what I mean? I was like bringing in artists. It was like, and everything came like one piece at a time. I just went in there and painted. I bought green paint. I just painted the whole place green. I wanted like, I was like, grow money. You know what I'm saying? I was like... It's like a, it was like a, uh, it was like an obnoxious like Celtics green, you know what I mean? <laughs> like with that wood trim, and I was, I was like, boy, oh, do my K old school K Verdean flag in the window, and went and bought like a thirteen dollar desk at Savers. It was like shaped like a microphone. I was like, yeah, it's like, Whew. you know what I mean? Then uh, like, you know what I mean? Like the girl I was dating at the time was like, why is your mic shaped like a penis? <laughs> I'm like, it's a microphone. <laughs> And then I, I called up Edgar and Jay, who were the two that, like, at that time, that were, like, kind of, we were, like, kind of on the same wavelength. You know what I mean? Jay was like, well, I'll bring over my, I'll bring over my, like, you know, my, my MPC and my speakers. Mm -hmm. Edgar was like, I'll bring over my computer. And I went to the Guitar Center and bought a mic. And my cousin came and they built a booth for me. And, Oh, we rocked, man. We made yeah. dope music for a long time. And then we moved downstairs and boom, boom, boom. And then, you know, 12 years being in a basement with no sign. You know, I got to this point in my life where I want, I was like, all right, I need, I need a, a next, I need a next level to step up to. Yeah, yeah. It was either that or I was just going to like, you know what I'm saying? Like step back and just do it leisurely. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. 
And then, you know, stumbled upon this space, man. You know, we because it's next door to Blackstone Tattoo and, you know, two different forms of art where like dubbing this block, the Pawtucket Arts District. Mm-hmm. And we already started the hashtag. <laughs> you know what I mean? So it's uh it's been great, man. You, you got I mean? the paint store now. Uh, exactly. Too, the paint store, <laughs> the tattoo parlor, and the recording yeah. studio all in the same building. Um, and it, But it's been refreshing, you know what I mean, to be like in a space where I feel like we can service anybody. You know what I mean? Like if parents are skeptical about bringing their, you know, their, their kids into a studio, just know that this is like a family-friendly, smoke-free environment. Um, and it's owned by an educator, um, who not only like does programs with youth now, but I've also built recording studios in two local high schools, you know what I mean? To try to just do my part to help, you know, just expand opportunities and resources for kids to create. If I had a recording studio when I was in high school, man, shoot, who knows what I'd be be doing right now. You know, seems to be like the first thing that they pull out. On yeah, funds the art stuff. Yeah, yeah, art and music. Mm-hmm. But I'm happy, man. I'm happy like that we're here. This, you know, this room got a lot of good vibes, and it's we've already, you know, since we we started doing sessions about mid February, and mm-hmm. you know, we've already made like a lot of really, really, really good music out of here. And I'm really excited about, you know, hopefully providing opportunities for for performance for some of the artists that come and invest in themselves and record with us here. Yeah. Who, besides yourself, have you recorded? Yeah, man, yo, there's a lot of, like, a lot, a lot of talented, you know, cats from here. Like, literally, like, from blocks within this building. Um, there's this kid named uh, named uh, Kufa Soul, who's, like, just dope. He reminds me of everything I loved about, like, hip-hop growing up. Um, who records here frequently is a, a kid named Jay Riquez and his buddy Anthony. And they've been in here, like, grinding things out. Um, the the Silva sisters are two like singer songwriters, uh, Mariella and Jen, who have been in here like basically weekly, you know, putting out really really dope R and B content. There's this other kid named Chris Alberto who I've been working with, who I had the opportunity of actually making music with him, who I'm really really like excited to do some more stuff with him. Um, you know, my bandmates, we we've, we've been meeting here in this space every Wednesday and using it as a rehearsal space. So I also envision, you know, us being able to provide that service for artists. And, you know, I just kind of like old school style mic up the room. Yeah. So we're able to actually like have recordings of our rehearsals oh, okay. cool. for cats to go home and, you know what I'm saying, review mm-hmm. and practice. But yeah, man, you know, and, you know, there are a lot of there are a lot of cats who don't necessarily record here, but I like really really respect you know what i mean like locally that i'm excited to like you know hopefully work with in the future um you know like my boy john hope flawless they're like just top top tier mcs kari durgans is another one um you know my boy inkwell joe bruce israel wusu is another young kid up and coming kid cam bells hill holla say boss it's like so many so many dope, dope rappers in yeah. Rhode Island, and then producers. You know what I mean? Watts. Actually, I have a, an album that I recorded with Watts um, here that we're gonna release um, hopefully within the next month. That's just it's dope. Made me step out of my comfort zone style-wise, but I'm happy I did because I was like proud with the results. Like in what way? Like I'm just more. It has like a more modern sound. Okay. 
You know what I mean? It's like me stepping out of the kind of boom bap realm and playing around with like some double time rhymes and it's uh sonically it's different. Mm -hmm. Um it was all storytelling. It's cool. Yeah. And it's called a Sensitive Dependence. It's a seven song project that's a mix of instrumentals and songs. Okay. That all kind of paint this story of like this young couple in a toxic relationship. Wow. It's pretty fresh. Yeah. Yeah. How many records have you done? A lot. Yeah. <laughs> all right. <laughs> I knew that that was the answer, uh, but... Uh, man, like, of like my own? Yeah, or just like how many, you know, albums have you put like out? Like how many put, that I put yeah. out? So, I mean, I know you've I guess like, like an endless I, amount of tracks. Yeah, but, when, I, when I was younger, man, I have like hundreds and hundreds of songs that's never been released. But when I was younger, like through the C&J record days, there was... My like first solo project was called Fresh Hotel, like a mixtape. Then I put out another mixtape called um, One Life Under the Sun. Then another one called Mind the Gap, the Prospect Heights album, which was just entitled Prospect Heights. Mm-hmm. Um, put out Advance Warning with Swan Nadi. Spotlight Official with Swan Nadi as well. Um, and then a variety of like collaboration albums with CNJ okay. as CNJ Soldiers of the Scene, Nighttime. It's featured on a bunch of those projects. Then, oh, and also on that time, like I had my first like album release that I wrote um, for Young Jinsu. That I wrote the three songs that are on the on the album. So I think it was the only time I was on vinyl, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. um, then the label kind of like became defunct. I opened up the my the studio and then I put out three part series of mixtapes, the green, the blue and the red. And I put out my first like album album which was Industrial Evolution. That was like in 2012. That was really well received. I actually won the Phoenix album of the year. Yeah, the Phoenix great, Awards was a, a thing in 2012. Yeah. That was dope. Then I put out uh Cape Verdean in America, which was another like, you know, album um, collaborated with a lot of like Cape Verdean MCs from the states and from the islands as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Swan and I put out the Three Piece Sue album. Mm-hmm. Then last year, I put out um, Rap Fro House, which is another album project. Put out in in an album with Jay Depina called The Human Factor, which is dope. I I like love that project. And then just like a variety of singles. And then you know, now I'm working on sensitive dependencies, ready to go. It's kind of in the mastering process. I have a bunch of songs done for a new project that I'm going to put out, hopefully um, mid-summer, called Sound Advice. Um, and, yeah, hopefully an album with my band. Well, that's awesome. Yeah, so a lot, man. I don't know. And one day I was like, man, I'm a teacher, and I'm like thinking of all these artists that have, like, you know what I'm saying, like, like published books and the artists and you know what I mean I'm like damn I would publish a book and, and then one of my students was like Chachi you have a discography and I was like you're right <laughs> I do I have a discography I think it was at like 13 collections of music you know not you know not to mention like countless features and mm-hmm. you know mixtape appearances and collaborations with other artists yeah man I'm pretty proud of what I've been able to do Kid from the bucket. Yeah, I mean that's actually kind of like my last questions here is, um, you know, looking back, like what what would you say is your greatest musical accomplishment? That's easy. 
I think my greatest musical accomplishment was also my grandfather's greatest musical accomplishment and my father's greatest musical accomplishment is that without forcing it, it seamlessly passed on to my children. And, you know, if they buy into the process, if they make it a means for them to release and to you know, create opportunities for themselves and even create like a secondary source of income or even just use it as a tool to like express themselves and vent frustration, use it as therapy, then they'll understand the amounts of time, money, why I made such a big investment, a large investment, large personal investment into music myself. Um, Because, uh, you know, when when you're an artist, you know, People only see the finished product. They don't see the all the man hours and all the mental <laughs> hours <clears throat> that you have to like dedicate to one finished product. And uh, you know, if they can understand that, then they'll understand me. I'm, I'm just happy that they like. They just love music. They love singing and dancing. My daughter like taught herself to play like the ukulele, watching YouTube videos and the piano. She sings. She's like pursuing a college she's only a junior but she's like looking for colleges where she could like double major in law and in theater you know she does musical theater now you know my son's my son asked he's seven and last year for christmas he wanted a trombone got him a trombone yeah (laughs) you know what i mean and my youngest is just a rapper I'll tell him to just say freestyle right now, kid, and he just like yo, dance on with the young skeletons, and he's just talking about Power Rangers, and just you know, that's a that's my biggest accomplishment, you know, to be able to inspire the next generation. Great, yeah. well, thank you so much, Chachi. No, thank you, it. man. This is great. I remember playing Udil, gonna get a beer from the fridge what for Udil, who cares how you feel, we partying over here, yeah. shots of glow chase with a cold beer, and you can smell a trooper in the air, and it's so good, I dedicate this to my whole hood, thousands of miles away, in Rhode Island, rep the culture we from, we say, 11th Island, and I ain't never been there yet, but I hold cop verde in my heart, and I rep till death, do us part, my pops, he was smart, taught us about the food and the land, in the art, and he spent a lot of time taking shots, singing mourners and Kinti. He said it felt soft, said B. And I imagine how he felt when he saw me rapping live on TV, wearing a shirt that said CV, rapping the Cavallo name, and I made it look easy.